0: Hello and welcome back to my Friday 5 the weekly topical dip into the world of well-being to bring you a few moments of helpful interesting relevant and hopefully hopeful insight into the way we are living today in terms of staying strong positive and well not so easy given the state of global heightened anxiety, raising our cortisol levels, that's our stress hormone, right off the charts in some cases. Well, I'm actually recording this out in rural Kenya, where there is no news to speak of. No TV, not even much chance to check in on social media due to lack of connectivity from time to time. So my family and I are pretty much out of the loop of the daily dire news toll from the airwaves. Maybe not so good for staying current, but possibly a bit better for mental health, especially for my children. And the last couple of years have taught me that protecting our mind, mood and emotions from a seemingly endless negative stream of fear and anxiety is fundamental when it comes to wellness. Of course, we need to be aware and act accordingly to do what we can to help. But constant fear and worry is extremely draining and impacts badly, not only on our mental state, but our physicality too. If something extremely bad is about to happen to us on whatever level we might be focusing on right now, it's going to be really important to be functioning as well as we possibly can and be strong enough for it. Which leads me neatly on to my guest conversation today because I'm joined by Dr. Jenna Macciocci, who many of you may remember from a Friday Five way back in June of last year. She is an expert immunologist with over 20 years' experience researching the impact our lifestyle habits including the ambient levels of stress that surround us, can have on our immune system. Now, if you haven't heard our last chat, I would really recommend starting there, as in that episode, Jenna shared her background growing up on a farm in rural Scotland and how this early experience led her to become fascinated with the science of what keeps us well. And you can find that one by looking it up on your podcast app or platform, wherever you download from. Just search for Liz Earle plus Jenna. And that's spelled J E N N A. Well, in that episode, we also discussed some simple, practical ways to help support immune health, from supplementing with the all-important vitamin D, to the importance of eating plenty of fibre and phytonutrient-rich plants. And Jenna also shared her thoughts on our overzealous use of antibacterial products, such as hand sanitizers, and how this can actually, sometimes, do more harm than good when it comes to keeping illness away. Just use a bit of soap and water, was her advice. Well, since then, she has gone on to publish another brilliantly helpful book, Your Blueprint for Strong Immunity. And I couldn't resist the opportunity to have her back on the show now to pick her brains about this all important area of health. So, in this episode, we are chatting about so called superfoods, highlighting some genuinely helpful super nutrients. And eagle eared listeners will no doubt spot a couple of my own favourites here, I'm sure. And also about the the fascinating importance of fitness, in particular for fortifying our body's defences, something that's well, it's a bit new to me as a concept when it comes to our immune system. And she has some really valuable insight for those of us who are struggling to incorporate a bit more movement into our daily routine. So here she is to tell us more. So, welcome back, Jenna. It's great to be in contact again. I've been stalking you on Instagram and following all <laughs> your advice. <laughs> it's uh, you're oh. just doing so much, and congratulations on the publishing of your new book. Well done!
2: Thank you so much, Liz. Thanks for having me. It's always great to be a guest on your podcast. No, thank you. So, this
0: is obviously your follow up book, the Blueprint for Strong Immunity. Why did you decide to write this one in particular?
2: Yeah, I think it's a good place to start. Um, I kind of see them as standalone books, actually. They were written not... Um, you don't have to have read the first one to read the second one. And if you read them both, they kind of contain different material. I feel like the first one I just had to get everything off my chest um, regarding the science of staying well, which is the title of the first book, and really just explore uh, all of the beauty of the immune system uh, and dive into all of the ways that it weaves into our well-being. And then with the second book, I feel like this was the book I had to read myself because... (laughs) We all stumble at things, you know. We we all have uh, unlimited exposure to information around our health and well being, you know, from public health guidelines to social media to you know things that are in the, uh, the news and and in print media. Um, but somehow we often falter at taking that information and making it actionable. And I myself also struggle with this sometimes because life can make it quite hard to take care of our well being. And I really wanted mm. to find a way to give people a sort of personalised guide to how to curate this information uh, and the knowledge and the theory and make it actionable. So find ways that they could personalise their own approach. And I guess that's where the the title comes from. It's about creating your blueprint. So each chapter We'll look at all the major lifestyle levers that can have an impact on our immune health and help you decide where's your own starting point. You know, I'm not just going to pontificate of all the things you should do, but you can sort of curate and design your own uh, path forward. And I'm just kind of here as a guide. So that's really what I tried to do in the book. So it's sort of split into three parts. It starts with um, a bit about getting to know your immune system. So... A little bit of the the technical stuff and then I get people to reflect on their own what I call their immunobiography so kind of looking back at their life because you know your immune system is something that's shaped by your experiences over time so depending on your own personal timeline that's going to look different to someone else's. Um, And then in the second part, we start looking at those foundational things that we can do that can have a beneficial effect on our immune system. It's great. And I have to say, it's
0: really so helpful to have a a trusted voice here and an experienced guide. Because in the book, you do speak about a rising tide of immune health pseudoscience that's kind of really emerged during the COVID-19 pandemic. So should we start here perhaps with a bit of myth busting? What are some of these pervasive immune myths that we're seeing?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, it's been quite an interesting time when it comes to discussing the immune system online. Mm -hmm. I was there happily talking about the immune system for many years, doing a lot of science communication and writing books on this subject. And then suddenly the whole world was talking about the immune system with some very (laughs) strong opinions. Um, uh, So uh, for a little while, it made me feel um, like I needed to be a little bit quiet. But you're the expert. (laughs) Yes, Yeah. So I think in terms of um, myths, uh, I think that there's a lot of places sort of selling the idea that this one thing will make you invincible to germs, whether that's doubling up on some supplements or taking uh, a few um, specific uh, foods into your diet that they're going to completely make you resilient from ever getting sick. And um, there's an awful lot of what I call immunity greenwashing you know and companies are, are using the fact that we're in a pandemic to tag on that their product you know supports the healthy function of an immune system and um, people are obviously scared because it's a really difficult time and I think that you know they're more inclined to maybe just spend money blindly on things but you really have to Mm -hmm. put it in the context of your overall diet and lifestyle because there are some amazing supplements and foods and different things that I cover in the book that can support uh, proper immune function but you also have to be looking at the other areas of your life Um, and so Mm -hmm. I've broken it down into the different lifestyle levers. Mm. Interesting. So let's just cover off some
0: of those. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about each each sort of set of levers, if you like, in turn. I guess food is such a big one because obviously we all have to eat and we all eat every day. What are the things that you rate as a, an immunologist? What are the things that we will always find in your fridge and in your kitchen cupboards?
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, um, I think based on the research it's becoming increasingly clear that it's the overall pattern of your diet that's most important. And I really like that concept because I do think that we often look for really reductionist lists of superfoods, but actually it's dietary diversity um, across the sort of weeks and months that is more important. So, you know, if you have, um, go out and have lots of junk food today, that is kind of minimal if you are the rest of the week eating really well. And I think that we need that psychologically in today's world because it's really hard to eat well when we live in a sea of advertising of uh, ultra processed foods. Um, And this is something that I mentioned in the book, if there's anything that we should be, avoiding its ultra-processed foods and that's a complete mm. um, category of foods uh, and if people are interested they can read more about how to identify what would classify as an ultra-processed processed food in, in the book and it's not that we need to completely avoid these and uh, it's very hard to avoid them and some food processing can be quite helpful but generally these foods are very easy to eat i mean i'm sure everyone can imagine the time when they've opened a bag of crisps and once you start it's hard to stop you it's can't really stop. easy to you open. just can't, you can't.
0: <laughs> they're specially engineered aren't they to have all these additives that are, are sort of you know slightly addictive when you say ultra processed foods are we, talking, are we talking about things like ready meals that you know stuff that's coming out of packets Baked yes, goods, exactly. you know, specific, stuff that has been made yeah. for us, if you like, rather than stuff that we've cooked yes. from scratch ourselves.
2: Yeah, they often mm. contain very long lists of ingredients. They might contain ingredients mm-hmm. that if you made that food at home, you wouldn't necessarily add those because they're kind of industrialized Um, processing agents. Um, So those are the kind of things to look for. And they tend to mess around with our kind of satiety signals. So um, we now know that one of the reasons that they're problematic is because we tend to, uh, if we're eating a lot of these, we overconsume calories. And I talk a lot uh, in the book actually about just the calorie balance being really important as a foundational element of supporting a well-functioning immune system through your diet. So that's kind of your starting point. And and one of the big things I wanted to emphasize was how our relationship with food will influence how we we are going to um, eat a healthy diet. Because if we're being really restrictive, if we're trying to have a perfect diet that comes with its own stress, Um, or if we're just in a bad place mentally, we might end up eating when we're not hungry and choosing foods that are not supporting our health. So it's really trying to first examine, you know, what are your motivations for eating? Is it purely hunger? Is it routine? Is it a social thing? And then start to look at, well, what are you eating and are those foods going to be nourishing you? And um, what I try to do at home is is cook from scratch a lot, which isn't really that easy when you have a job and kids. So my sympathy goes out to everyone. It isn't, but it's really something that I think we should try and do as much as possible. Um, It takes a little bit of skill. You know, you need to have some basic cookery skills. You need to have the confidence to do it. But bringing in as much colourful produce as possible, um, all those different fresh fruits and vegetables where you can using frozen or tinned or fermented um, produce so that you have that option if you don't have time to cook uh, is a really good idea. Mm-hmm. And I love um, adding beans and legumes to things. So take the classic spaghetti bolognese, remove half the meat, throw in some lentils, some uh, different things types of beans and you're just bringing in that diversity herbs and spices are a great way to bring in antioxidants and uh of course all the the colorful fresh fruits um and, and vegetables and leafy greens are one of the the key ones i think mm. that we should be trying to eat more of cooking with things like yeah. olive oil which has so many specific benefits not only for our immune system but for for many aspects of our um digestion and just a very um nutritious way to cook i have italian family so i'm biased there because you can only cook with olive oil <laughs> if you're in italy um the one thing i think that stands the test of time
0: yes Absolutely. And interesting that you've used a word there, which I picked up on fermented, fermented foods, and presumably that's having an impact on gut health and, and microbiome. Is there any particular gut food or fermented food that you are a special fan of, you know, in terms of relating that to the immune system?
2: Oh, gosh. I mean, I just love kimchi, sauerkraut any kind of fermented vegetables like I, I will find a way to always have that in my fridge <laughs> so I'm like mm-hmm. always stocking up um and there's some great small brands popping up in the UK um yes. that are making these uh I've also played around with doing it myself at home but um yeah I, I think uh fermented foods and there was a really recent study which I cover in the book where a very short term intervention where they didn't change anything else, but they just added some fermented foods to people's diet. And they didn't restrict it to one type of fermented food. So they could have had fermented dairy like kefir or something like kombucha as well as the um, uh, fermented vegetables. Uh, and they found beneficial changes in the immune system. And particularly important was this lowering of unwanted inflammation. um and that's something I go into quite a lot of depth about because so many things about our our modern busy lives can raise this this inflammatory response in the background. And it's not like the inflammation we get when we're fighting an infection. That's kind of a low and slow, unwanted, uncalled for inflammation, but it slowly and surely will cause a lot of damage and accelerate our, our aging um, and leave us ultimately more vulnerable to getting sick. So um, taking care of your gut microbes and nurturing that, that diversity of and microorganisms that are living in the gut is one of the key ways to have a direct effect on on your immune system because you have 70 or more percent of your immune cells running along that digestive tract and they're in close contact wow. with these gut microbes all the time that that's amazing and i think that's
0: so empowering yeah. as well and i i love the fact that you've said you know it's not necessarily about giving stuff up it's about adding little bits of something in because we can all do that mm-hmm. you know we can all have a little yeah. bit of plain life yogurt or the kefir the kombucha you know you are so talking my language here and the other great <laughs> thing i think about fermented vegetables is that they're cheap as chips to make. You know, you chop up some carrot and some cabbage and shove it in a jar with some salty water and you just leave it alone for a few weeks and it turns into this magical fermented immune-boosting elixir. I mean, it doesn't get any cheaper or easier than that, really, does it?
2: Exactly, yeah. Like you say, if you take things like cabbage, carrots... A bit of something to make it spicy, you know. You, if you put that all on your plate, you might think, "Oh, I don't really find that appetizing right now." But go and ferment it for a while, and then add it to everything. <laughs> so from yeah, my breakfast to eggs, to... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have read that that it actually
0: you don't need very much of it either. That literally sort of a teaspoon of kimchi, this sort of fermented Korean pickle has billions Mm -hmm. of beneficial bacteria and that's that's kind of all you need so as you say popping it on your eggs in the morning or you know maybe even mixing it in with your spag bowl or whatever and then and it's job done isn't it
2: exactly and i think that's you know a, a lot of people will say oh gosh you know i i can't tolerate food xyz and they'll list off a whole bunch of you know normal healthy foods certain vegetables or certain legumes or you know pulses Um, and that's something I wanted to also discuss in the book because you know a lot of the messaging is around bringing in stuff into your diet bringing in that dietary diversity and that range of different plant foods and each plant food will have their own little composition of fibers and plant phytonutrients that will you know have a beneficial effect on the function of the immune system, the health of the gut and the gut microbiome. But if you start to make a change uh, to your diet overnight and go from not eating very many of these foods to eating loads of them, your gut's going to really struggle uh, to adapt oh, yeah. because we don't really <laughs> digest a lot of the fiber by ourselves. It's those gut microbes that are doing the heavy lifting when it comes to digesting um, the, the the plant fibers and these Uh, products. So we need to allow our gut time to acclimatize to that.
0: That's so interesting. And that makes perfect sense that if we need more of the beneficial gut microbes that are going to help process these beans and legumes. And I experienced that actually myself firsthand. I was invited to an amazing a Hindu dinner recently out here in Kenya, and it was completely vegan and so many different dishes. It was absolutely delicious, not too spicy. It was kind of Northern Indian cuisine, but there were a lot of beans and pulses. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, at the end of the dinner, I was so bloated and I thought, oh my goodness, you know, this food is, is not agreeing with me, but I guess if I'd taken it a little bit more slowly, and mm-hmm. had a little bit, added a few more beans and a few more lentils, which I'm perhaps not so good at generally day to day, you know, I would have had more of the microbes there that would have enabled yes. me to digest it better, do you think?
2: Yes, definitely. And I think perhaps if some of the people at that dinner, if that was kind of their hab- habitual diet, they probably yeah. wouldn't have experienced those symptoms because that's something that they're eating regularly. But, um, absolutely. You know, and often, if people go on holiday they might find that they have a little bit of a sensitive tummy and I think you know we we shouldn't pathologize having a little bit of bloating now and again because it is really quite normal um
0: no it was fine yeah it went away it was fine I was just aware of it you know at the time
2: yeah Mm. and that is normal everybody will experience that from time to time but the goal is to try and keep it to a level where you are bringing in that diversity, even if it's mm-hmm. just the tiny teaspoon, and it's not impacting mm-hmm. your quality of life. And I think when we really restrict our diet, and sometimes people will say, Oh, but I feel amazing, because I've cut out all of these foods that were causing me problems. And I'm thinking, but the food is not the problem. Your guts and microbes are the problem. You need nice. to keep the food coming in slowly and surely yeah. from these foods that you've cut out so that you keep those those the ability to digest them. And if we don't feed the bugs, they'll, they'll, we'll lose them. And it can be quite hard to bring them back.
0: Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince.
0: that is so so interesting from foods then talking about supplements and I know there has been a lot of greenwashing and you know profiteering for frankly one of a better word However, I think there are certain things that are standing up to a little bit of scientific scrutiny. So I'm interested to get your view on that. I mean, I'm looking at things like turmeric, for example, and saffron and um, lactoferrin and, and, you know, very specific things that have kind of popped their heads up a little bit more over the parapet these last couple of years. Do you have any particular hits and misses here?
2: Yes, exactly. I would say um, in the book, I have a section about what to do with various minor illnesses, um, and you know, my first advice is always rest and recover and free up the, the energy your body needs to invest in that, that immune response and then support it with specific things. So we know that many plants contain phytonutrients, which is just the name for a plant nutrient that, that have antimicrobial effects. So they can be antiviral, antibacterial, things like honey um, is a really good one, Um, oregano oil. um, And then we have the more Mm. kind of anti-inflammatory products, which are turmeric with its host of different curcumoids inside. Um, These have also Mm -hmm. been shown to have antiviral and antibacterial activity. Um, And turmeric supplements can be a great way to get a more concentrated dose of this. Uh, Many of the supplements Mm -hmm. will come with... um, Piperine inside, which is a component of black pepper that helps that absorption. Um, And it's been shown to reduce inflammation in the body. There's even been studies looking at reducing pain. Um, I think N-acetylcysteine, which is important for helping our bodies produce their own antioxidants. So glutathione is one of the antioxidants we produce ourselves. And N-acetylcysteine supports that. It's also been shown to interfere with viral replication. Um, And it helps with the mucus barrier in our airways. So it can help um, reduce uh, the symptoms of certain upper respiratory tract infections. Gosh, that's so useful. That's so helpful (laughs) right now. I know exactly we're still in winter with all these winter bugs going around and I love the beta-glucans which are the um powerful uh sort of carbohydrates structures that are found in in mushrooms and there's loads of companies now doing amazing uh, supplements or powders that you can add to your food um, or smoothies coffees um, with beta-glucan and different sort of functional mushroom powders and then obviously lactoferrin you mentioned that's one of my um, favorites as well so uh, if me or the kids do get any symptoms of being unwell i normally add in lactoferrin and some extra vitamin c and zinc because i don't think we need to i'm kind of like a food first person so i kind of reserve certain things for when our body needs them more so if you have a good diet you probably don't need to be taking vitamin c every day but it can help when your body's using much more during an infection and the same with zinc it's not something I would take every day unless uh, I had a dietary reason where I wasn't eating foods that contained it. Mm very very
0: interesting indeed and you know this is just so resonating i'm sure with a lot of my audience because these are so many of the the common things that we're hearing you know time and time again so you would have these kind of things almost in like a medicine cabinet really that you would pull out when you begin to you know like one of the kids comes home from school and shares generously one of their nice cough and cold bugs (laughs) you know these are the sorts of things that, that you would resort to are they
2: Yes, exactly. Um, And as I say, like, I I tried in the book to help people kind of personalise what supplements they might want to need. But I definitely suggest people to have their little kind of uh, set ready in the cupboard if they do get unwell. I think with kids, elderberry syrup is a really nice one to have because uh, sometimes, in in my opinion, it's a little bit of placebo because kids kind of want a medicine when they're unwell. They kind of look to well, my kids will be like, "Mummy, I don't feel well," and there's this expectation to get medicine. And we can give things like paracetamol, which comes in a syrup for children, but the elderberry syrup's the same colour, um, and so yeah. and it tastes nice, but it doesn't have the effect that paracetamol with will have. And I kind of reserve paracetamol for when my ki- kids are very, very stressed and uncomfortable. But I'd rather mm. sort of let the illness play out if it's minor because you know you just keep an eye on them and they tend to bounce back pretty quickly really interesting do you know I mean out here in Kenya I had a member of the family
0: who developed this really bad cough and you know obviously I mean everyone's been COVID tested up to the eyeballs so we knew it wasn't Mm -hmm. bad Um, and I went into the health food shop and they have some excellent health food shops out here in in Nairobi especially and I found this French uh, liquid and it was thyme syrup with geranium extract a pelagonium extract and honestly it, and it said it was for coughs and upper respiratory tract infections and two doses of that and this cough just went away it was just extraordinary and then you know looking up online looking up the studies into pelagonium the, you know from um you know like a geranium type plant uh, and and thyme extract incredibly powerful and you think oh my goodness this is something that really does work I'm going to buy an extra couple of bottles of this and and take it home oh, with me, yeah. so I've always got it in my cupboard.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think botanicals are just going to have a moment soon because there's so many amazing companies that are are distilling down and and investigating these bioactive components of all these different botanical plants that we have, um, and making uh, awesome supplements. So I think that's going to be a real uh, field to watch over the next few years.
0: Mm. I remember writing a book back in the day, I think it was one of the first consumer guides actually to antioxidants. um, I mean, nearly kind of 30 years ago. And the impact of, of antioxidants and and how they work to help repair and mop up excess free radical damage. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned earlier when talking about foods, these colorful foods, the fruits and veggies that have so Mm -hmm. many of the antioxidants in them. Is is there a real connection then with the immune system and having high levels of general antioxidants in our diet?
2: Yes, definitely. I kind of think of this as a sort of longevity approach. um, And I'm always kind of Looking at the long game rather than rather than the the now, so if we think about when your immune system is fighting an infection and we suffer from inflammation, we might have a fever, and all those uncomfortable symptoms that's um because your immune system is producing a whole load of oxidants in its weaponry to try and fight off those germs. And that has the beneficial effect of, of making the germs feel very uncomfortable and getting rid of them. But it also has a bit of collateral damage onto uh, our own delicate tissues. So the immune system also has this huge need for antioxidants to try and counteract that um, at the same time as fighting off germs. So um, over time, as we get older, we know that our antioxidant systems are just not as good. We know that we tend to produce more kind of unwanted inflammation. So you have this imbalance between the oxidants and the antioxidants, um, and then that can have a a negative feedback effect on making our immune cells not be able to function as well. And so it's this kind of downward spiral. So I call a lot of these foods longevity foods because it's really about um, looking after our, our immune age. And we've seen with COVID that age has been a real risk factor for severe disease. And we see that with many infections. But the interesting thing is that your immunological age doesn't have to be the same as your chronological age. So if you're having that healthy diet and lifestyle and exercise is a really huge component of this, then you can have an immune age that's much younger than your actual chronological age. So it's all about sort of, supporting this balance between the oxidants and the antioxidants, as well as other aspects of of diet and lifestyle that's really important for this.
0: That's so interesting, putting that into perspective and framing it in that way. And I love the fact that no matter, you know, how old we are and the fact that we are all hopefully aging, that we can kind of reverse the clock, if you, if you like, by employing some of these antioxidants within the diet. Interesting now that you talk about exercise, because I know that you're actually a qualified fitness instructor, um, as well as a lecturer and an immunologist. So how important then is exercise for our immune health?
2: Yes, it's so important. And I think it's often the forgotten piece. Um, You know, a lot of what the information we see about the immune system is to do with our diet and food. But if we're not also taking care of our um, fitness as well, then, you know, that's a major piece of the puzzle. We have to kind of think about all these different inputs going into the overall functioning of our immune system. And the diet is only one piece of that overall puzzle. I kind of like to break it down into three aspects so we need to just be moving more we know that being sedentary um is a risk factor for inflammatory disease and so inflammation is part of our immune system and when we have raised inflammation there's something not functioning properly about that so if we're getting up and out of our seats more often and I know how hard that is because sometimes my job is really desk bound but breaking yeah, up those sedentary times <laughs> not just saying oh it's okay I'm going to the gym tonight I'll sit for eight hours at my desk like those are two separate things you have to break up the time sitting Mm. as well as you know going engaging in something that gets your heart rate up Um, then we have things like mobility so again coming back to that uh, aging factor a lot of the time when people lose their mobility, they not only lose the ability to do things that they enjoy, um, it can be restricted then to to what you can engage in in your life, and that can have a mental toll, but you're more likely to experience injuries, and when you are injured and you cannot move part of your body, say you break an arm or um twist your ankle, then when that's immobilized, you lose muscle mass. And we now know that muscle mass and muscle function is um, one of the key factors in a healthy immune system because our muscle mass is the the amount of muscle we have in our body is producing certain uh, molecules that are stimulating rejuvenation of our immune system. So the bone marrow and the thymus is where our new immune cells are being produced. And this slows down over time But if we maintain our muscle mass, this is kind of rejuvenating those organs to ensure we have fresh new immune cells. And the exercise itself can help our body remove those immune cells that are a bit older and may be more likely to malfunction. So it's again kind of keeping this balance in the whole system through movement, breaking up sedentary time, but doing those resistance Mm -hmm. exercises, you know, making sure we take care of our muscle mass. I know that you're also really passionate about this. Uh, you post lots of great uh, <laughs> inspirational content to get people working out yeah. and I think it, it has to be accessible doesn't it to everyone yeah I don't yeah, want people sure. to feel like I hate the gym or you know it is just about finding things you enjoy
0: everything I do it is, it is at home usually Yeah, usually in my bedroom. But do you know, it's so interesting talking to you because I do tend to compartmentalize things. I think, you know, here's my food and here's my lovely dietary supplements. Oh, and then over here, here's my exercise because I want to have strong bones and I want to be trim and I want to, you know, keep my fitness levels and be active and energized. I haven't actually joined the dots and been thinking partly, I think, why fortunately I, I do tend to stay very well, is that I am doing a bit more exercise and I am doing a bit more resistance training and a you know, little bit of running here and there and a few weights and all of that. I didn't realize that I was actually improving my immune cells. What was going on in my bone marrow was actually protecting me to keep me well. I mean, that is, that's quite mind-blowing, actually. I think a lot of people listening to this might be going, wow, really, that's yet another reason why we need to be so active.
2: Exactly, and I just think, you know, the human body was really built to move. Um, We weren't necessarily built to go to the gym. So why do we put it in that box where that's where exercise happens? Because many people don't like the gym. I, for one, struggle to get to the gym in between the kids and everything. But I can think, oh, I can come Mm. home from work and I can bounce on the trampoline with my kids for (laughs) half an hour and get totally out of breath. Um, and And then you know, run around doing housework putting out the washing um you know lifting shopping bags lifting my children Mm um you know walking to the shop instead of driving which i do all the time because i I, there's never anywhere to park where i live um i cycle to work you know rain, rain wind or shine but it's all these little things that actually i think that's probably helps keep me in shape not the occasional time that i do go and do a gym class that's kind of just a nice extra yeah. to have and so if we flip our mm-hmm. mindset into thinking about movement um you know if you have um uh, a watch that looks at your step count or something like that or on your phone and just kind of try and build in more movement try and enjoy tidying up because it's part of your daily movement you know yeah,
0: <laughs> and i think that's mindset a really good is really way of
2: continue. yeah it's a good way of, of spinning it into into a positive <laughs> there's some fantastic studies that they did um looking at um people who cleaned uh, the rooms in hotels um and when they they split them into groups and one group they told them that this counts towards your your daily movements requirement that you know that we should all aim for and then the other group they didn't And the ones that were told that this was part of their exercise actually ended up burning more calories um, and they put that down to how our minds influence our physiology. So that mindset can have a huge impact on physical changes that are going on within your body so the way you view an activity I mean that just blows my mind (laughs) completely and and I know
0: that you've shared your morning mobility routine in the book what what do you do as a a busy kind of working mum first thing what are the things that kind of get you going and get you into this mobility mindset
2: yeah, I think I, I am a bit of an early bird and I do have young kids, so I'm often up early, but I have to get us all out the door from school and work by a certain time. So I'm a big, big advocate of sort of front loading my day with really positive, intentional behaviours. So even if I think, oh, I just I don't have the motivation to do a workout or I'm too tired or we don't have enough time, I'll try and just get my yoga mat out. I get my cup of tea, um... You know, my kids are pottering around or eating their breakfast and I'll just start moving, like mobilising my spine with a cat-cow position, thinking about how, how does my neck feel? Are my shoulders stiff from the day before? I, I'll use maybe a resistance band to sort of... Um, roll my shoulders around to loosen them up Um, get into a deep lunge position to work on my hip flexors and my hamstrings um, Mm -hmm. and just do a little bit of movement maybe some downward dog and even if it's only 10 minutes it might be 20 some days it might be half an hour some days I might do a few little yoga sun salutations but it kind of just, it it helps my mindset. It's, it's a nice way to start the day. I could be reading the news instead or, you know, doing something else, but actually, which is toxic. I mean, really? (laughs) Exactly. I stand up at the end of that and and everything feels looser. I mean, everything just feels more open. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have a kind of, uplifted feeling and uh, that kind of then carries throughout the day so you know some mornings mm-hmm. I'll ace it and I'll do a full workout or I'll go for a run but most days that you know I just don't have time for that so just that little bit of mo- mm-hmm. mobility and um, it all stemmed from when we went into the first lockdown and I had I was in a car accident was knocked off my bike and broke my shoulder um and I had this shoulder immobilized for three months and when I took it out of this thing it was all skinny and shriveled up and I couldn't lift my arm so I, I was doing physio but then the physio stopped with Lockdowns and the gyms were shut, and you know, we're all stuck at home. So, I was like, I have to do this on my own because if I don't do anything, I'm going to lose the function Mm. of my arm. I mean, I couldn't lift it above my shoulder, I couldn't grab something off a shelf, it was completely without any strength. So, I kind of lived through that, and it made me realize how important mobility is. Um, and it's one of the first things that we lose almost without even realizing it, but it's never too late to start. Right. No, absolutely, little
0: and often. Some of the things that I've been doing is building up my use of weights. And I've read some interesting studies that that a little bit of high intensity, a little bit of literal weightlifting. I mean, I don't, you know, kind of go Mm -hmm. to the gym and pump iron, but I do have some quite heavy weights at home. that I do do weighted squats and I do lift. And I've read that there's a connection with this and improving your stem cells and kind of almost helping to rejuvenate the body and
2: would that have an impact on the immune system as well with high intensity? Yes definitely Um, and again it's sending these signals through to the bone marrow where you have all these stem cells that are going to differentiate into all the different types of cells in your body including your immune cells so it's helping to repopulate with fresh new cells that are going to keep our bodies young and rejuvenated. So, yeah, keep it up. Sounds great. I certainly will. Jenna, it's so good to
0: chat to you. And I think what's so empowering here is that these are relatively small, simple steps that are inexpensive, that are easy. And what I love about talking to you is that you help to kind of reframe how we think about these things. And, you know, our bodies are just the most amazing, remarkable places to live, aren't they? And and they yes. serve so many functions and can do us so much good. Um, and just putting something back and kind of thinking about that, thinking, I mean, I'm going to be literally tomorrow morning, doing my exercise routine, thinking about you, visualizing my stem cells and my bone marrow and all these amazing, you know, kind of white cell warriors that are just going yeah. to be improved and, and enabling me to thrive. It's it's an absolute delight to, to chat and thank you for giving us some really inspirational ideas that can help to to keep us well and and huge congrats on your book. It's the blueprint for strong immunity. I think it's going to be so incredibly helpful Um, and I wish you incredibly well with it. Thank you.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: And so interesting, don't you think, that Jenna mentions the benefits of lactoferrin. And I genuinely didn't know she was going to highlight this as being just so helpful for us right now. You may remember that I've had Stephanie Drax here on my podcast. She is the fab female founder of of the Leapfrog Immune Lactoferrin Supplement, which I have in my own medicine box right now. And I definitely dip into it whenever I feel under the slightest attack from a cough, a cold or a flu bug, and one which I widely share with friends and family, including all my own children. In fact, I sent Brella back to uni recently with a pack of her own and strict instructions to take it at the first sign of a sniffle. Well, like so many students, she is snowed under with the weight of her final dissertation at the moment. So the last thing she needs is to get ill. And when I was researching the benefits of lactoferrin for Lizard Wellbeing magazine, I came across an enormous number of statistically significant randomized controlled trials that show lactoferrin can be very helpful indeed when it comes to helping our immune system ward off all kinds of coughs, colds and flu bugs. And only this week, I was sent a copy of a clinically significant study carried out at the University of Michigan by researchers studying various treatments for viruses, including COVID, who found it to be extraordinarily effective at blocking the COVID virus from entering our cells. So effective, in fact, that the researchers have gone on record as saying they started taking it themselves and giving it to their families during the pandemic. Well, if you'd like to know a bit more about lactoferrin and this study in particular, You might like to head to the website of Leapfrog Immune, which is leapfrogremedies.com. That's leapfrogremedies.com, where you can read all about it. And if you're tempted to try it, regular listeners may already know that we've had a Liz Loves affiliate discount code on our Liz Our Wellbeing website for quite a while now. You just have to use the code Liz Loves, that's all in capitals, all one word, to get a 10% discount and that's at leapfrogremedies.com. And on that little bit of positivity, I shall say goodbye until next week. Don't forget, meantime, that you can connect with my team and me across a wide range of our social media channels. And for those who subscribe to the Eliza Wellbeing magazine, do keep your eyes peeled for the postie as the latest issue is due to pop through your letterbox any time now. I hope you absolutely love it and that it brings a bit of cheer. In these despondent times. So until next week, go well. Bye bye.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince.